0: I'm deeply honored to speak to you from the United States this morning, and as a minister of the gospel of Christ, it is always a great joy to open up the word of God and proclaim the good news of forgiveness of sin by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus. A few years ago, I befriended a Muslim family from Afghanistan who had been very wealthy in Afghanistan. They were almost royalty over there. But they had lost everything because of the Taliban and were forced to flee to the United States for safety. When I met with the father, he was very angry, very depressed, very poor, very humiliated, almost suicidal. And he said to me that he thought Allah was angry with him because He says, he took everything away from me. I do all that he asks me to do, but I am still miserable. And in the course of the conversation, he asked me, what do you Christians do when God is mad at you? And I told him that God never gets mad at us like you described. At times we dishonor him and we grieve him and we even quench his power in our lives because of sin. And sometimes he disciplines us as any loving father would discipline his child, but he never treats us as an enemy. Even when things in life are difficult, he never leaves us nor forsakes us. And in the midst of our suffering, he gives us great joy and strengthens us so that we can persevere in our faith with a certain hope of heaven. And yes, because we are sinners, I told him, we were his enemy once, but because Christ paid the penalty for our sin on the cross, we have been reconciled to him. Indeed, Jesus took our sin and gave us his righteousness. He satisfied the wrath of his father for us by dying in our place. So now God sees us as his children, not as his enemy. Well, he was very puzzled with all of this and asked me to explain more about God's wrath and how Jesus supposedly satisfied that wrath. So that we could be reconciled to him. So I took him to 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10. And there we read, in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Unfortunately, this man, like most people, did not realize how devastating sin really is. Because he didn't understand how holy God is. You see, if you have a low view of God's holiness, you will have a high view of yourself and a diminished view of sin. As a result, you will have a distorted understanding of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, our only hope of forgiveness. And in 1 John 4.10, we are told that God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And the word propitiate in the original language is hilasmos. And it's a term that's seldom even used in the Bible. It's probably a term you've never even heard before. But it means to appease or placate or satisfy. This text and others tell us that because of God's love, the Father sent his son, Jesus, to be the propitiation or the appeasement, the satisfaction, the placation for our sins. Now, what does this mean? Well, to answer this question, we must understand three things. And this is what I explained to my Muslim friend. First, you must understand the holiness of God. Both in the Hebrew and the Greek, we understand that the word holy means to be separate, to be completely other, to be of a completely different nature, not to be compared with anything else created. This means that God is utterly transcendent, that he is utterly separated from sin. In Exodus chapter 15, verse 11, in the song of Moses, we read, Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? And in 1 Samuel 2, in verse 2, we read, No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. And in Isaiah chapter 6, we read the story of the seraphim that hovered around the throne of God. And they called out to one another saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And also in Isaiah 57, verse 15, God says that his very name is holy. And we must understand that the world has only seen one holy being, and that is Jesus Christ. Holiness is the all-encompassing attribute of God. It portrays His consummate perfection and eternal glory. It stands alone as the defining characteristic of His person. It is the summation of all His attributes. And because God is holy, His law demands perfect holiness. God hates sin, and we all sin. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 7.20, For there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. And Paul tells us in Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Moreover, God has made it clear in his word that because of sin, no man can survive God's judgment without a remedy for his sins. In Revelation 6, verse 16, that text speaks of the great day of his wrath that will come where no sinful man is able to stand. We must understand that sinners cannot satisfy God's holy justice. Sin is what makes peace with God impossible. Because of sin, there is an infinite chasm between sinful man and a holy God. God has made it clear that sinners can do nothing to earn their salvation. The Bible tells us that we are utterly unable to save ourselves, that we're dead in our trespasses and sins. We're like spiritual cadavers. The Word of God tells us that we're blind, we're ignorant, we're deaf, and by nature we are haters of the one true God. So sinful man is in a terrible situation, and he is absolutely helpless to do anything about it. And if that isn't bad enough, because God is holy, all sin must be punished. In fact, if God wasn't angry with sin, he wouldn't be perfectly holy, because holiness cannot exist. Apart from justice. Now, unfortunately, Satan, the father of lies, offers man many counterfeit religious systems that man can choose from. He convinces sinners that they can somehow earn their salvation through various religious works. And in order to do this, he must deceive a man into thinking that his sin isn't really that bad and God isn't really that holy. The Apostle Paul describes this in 2 Corinthians 4, where he says that these, for these people the gospel is veiled. It is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world, referring to Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So, in order to understand Christ as our propitiation, We must not only understand the holiness of God, but secondly, the wrath or the judgment of God. All through the Old Testament, we read repeatedly how sin kindled the wrath of the Lord. In Psalm 98, 9, the psalmist says, For he is coming to judge the earth with righteousness. He shall judge the world and the peoples with equity. We're told in Romans 1.18 that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And in Romans 3.23 we're told that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Peter even tells us in 1 Peter 4 and verse 5 that sinners will one day give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. You see, we must understand that because of God's holy justice, his anger is kindled against sinners. His holy law has been violated and sin cannot go unpunished. His wrath must be appeased. It must be satisfied. It must be placated. And only the sacrifice of Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God, can accomplish this. This is why he is the propitiation for our sins So, as we understand God's holiness and his wrath, now we can understand, thirdly, the propitiation of God. Again, the word propitiate means to appease or placate or satisfy. And the term is literally used to describe a sacrifice for atonement. You may recall that in the Old Testament, in both the tabernacle and the temple, there was the Holy of Holies. And no one could dare come into that inner sanctuary that housed the Ark of the Covenant except the high priest one time per year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And inside that Ark was the Covenant, the Law of Moses, the Holy Standard. And above the Ark on each end were golden cherubs with outstretched wings, that symbolically served to guard the holiness of God. And between the cherubs hovered the ineffable light of God's presence called the Shekinah glory. A light that was too brilliant to even be seen by fallen eyes of man without dying. But there was a lid on top of that ark, a golden lid that separated the law within From the holy presence above. And the reason for this is to symbolize that because the law of God had been violated, God's holiness cannot be contaminated with sin. That no one, because of sin, could possibly enter into the presence of God's glory. But dear friends, that golden lid of separation has staggering implications for every sinner who wants to be reconciled to a holy God, to have peace with God. For on that lid, divine justice and grace came together symbolically when the high priest sprinkled the blood of an animal once per year to make atonement for the sins of Israel. That lid was called the mercy seat. In fact, the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, translates the word mercy seat, hilasterion, which means propitiation. The place where the just wrath of God was symbolically propitiated, where his fury was temporarily appeased, where his anger was symbolically satisfied and his vengeance upon sinners placated. What an amazing picture of ultimate and final propitiation. The sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ who alone could satisfy the Father's wrath. In fact, the whole Levitical system was an object lesson explaining the need for sinful man to be reconciled to a holy God, a transaction that required propitiation of divine wrath against sin. So the animal blood, the animal's blood, never paid for one single sin. In fact, in Hebrews 10, verse 4, we read that it it is not Possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. But we learn in Hebrews 9:12 that Jesus entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. And what's even more amazing is that God himself provided the means to appease his own wrath. We saw this pictured in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve's sin. You will recall that the fig leaves of their own efforts would not do, so God had to kill an innocent animal to provide a covering. Because apart from the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. What an amazing paradox to think that God himself provided the very means to appease his own wrath. And he did this through his son, the God-man Christ Jesus the one who was fully man to die for men and yet fully God to be the perfect and spotless lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is what we see in 1 John 4.10. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Dear friends, you must either trust in Christ who alone can satisfy the wrath of God, or you must trust in yourself to be the propitiation. Something you will never be able to do, even if you spend an eternity in hell. You see, these are the only two options. The only two remedies. God cannot exchange His wrath for love unless justice has been satisfied. And oh, what an amazing love that Jesus would voluntarily pay the penalty for sin. My friend, I hope God will give you eyes to see what I fear my Muslim friend still is unable to see. I hope that you will have eyes by God's grace to see how the holiness and the wrath and the love of God are woven together into the scarlet rope of saving grace. I hope you understand that only through Jesus Can justice and mercy coexist? Were it not for Him, we would have no hope of salvation. For our sin is too great and God's holiness too infinite for us to ever be able to satisfy God's holy justice. For this reason, Jesus said in John 3.36, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Dear friends, I invite you to examine your heart today. I pray that you will ask yourself, do I trust in God's provision for salvation, the Lord Jesus, or will I try to satisfy the wrath of a holy God through my own works? Won't you ask Christ to be merciful to you And save you from the wrath that you deserve. For he alone is your only hope of salvation. We are told in the word of God that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. We pray you've been edified by this presentation. You've been listening to pastor, Bible teacher and author David Harrell. For more information. Or to order additional tapes or CDs of Pastor Harold's messages, please visit olive tree resources.org.